Hi, this is Jason Aaron, writer of The Avengers, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. everybody um I'm, I'm sneaking in the uh, spoiler cave right now to tell you guys we have a very very special interview coming up um i don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named jason aaron he essentially grew up down the road from my house um and he was smart enough to move away from alabama and uh now he's in the midwest or something i don't know but uh he writes for marvel and has done some of the most amazing comics. Uh, you guys should go out and read them now. Um, John, do you want to say anything uh, in this ASMR version of our intro? Uh, I just want to say that his cousin, Gustav Hasford, wrote the autobi- semi-autobiographical novel, The Short Timers, which was the feature-length film uh, inspiration for Full Metal Jacket, and I think that's very interesting. You're bullshitting me. There's no way. Well, according to Wikipedia, that's what it says. So Wikipedia would, not, Wikipedia would not lie to us. And with that, let's cut to the interview and listen to Jason Aaron in his own words. Listeners of Spoiler Country, today on the show, we have a very special guest, Mr. Jason Aaron. How's it going, Mr. Aaron? Doing, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? That's fantastic. So how are you handling things in the world of COVID? I, I don't know. Probably, you know, about as well as, as anybody. Like it was hard to get work done for a while. You know, and of course, comics shut down for a while. But even then, it was sort of hard to focus for a while. But I feel like now I'm finally getting up and running again. Feel good about the work I'm doing. You know, don't feel like I'm going too crazy. I guess I'm used to the whole work from home thing. I've been doing that for a while. Were you pencils down at any point or were you continuously still writing during even when the comics were shut down? Yeah, I was pencils down on a couple things. You know, Avengers never stopped, but it was also some Avengers related stuff that we were getting way ahead on. So we had to stop that for a bit. And, you know, I co-write Jane Foster Valkyrie with Lauren Grunbeck from Norway. And we were paused on that for a bit. But the, all that stuff's up and running again now. I imagine what's going on in Norway is actually much better than going in here. Did you guys discuss the current situation or did you guys kind of want to avoid that conversation with going on with COVID? No, I mean, one thing that's been interesting has just been discussing the situation with, you know, people I know all over the world. You know, that's one of the cool parts of my job is I get to work with people who live literally literally, um, all over the place. And it was just weird to be in this situation where the first time, you know, we were all dealing with the exact same thing. Everybody was going through. It didn't matter what country you lived in. So, yeah, I talked to Warren about it quite a bit. You know, it seems like, unfortunately, most of the people, well, you know, unfortunately for us, like, (laughs) fortunately for most of the people I know around the world, they're kind of past it for the most part now. But, you know, not us. It it does seem to have hurt the myth of American exceptionalism a little bit, the idea that the world, the rest of the world kind of figured this out and we're the ones who seemed like that one kid who just can't, can't figure it all out, can't get our stuff together. Yeah. Well, that's probably one of those myths, you know, we needed to take the legs out from under a little bit. This is 
maybe not the way we we should have chose to to have done it, but here we are. Yeah, I definitely never thought it was going to go for this long. I I really kind of thought once the summer hit, when people were saying when it got warm, it was going to stop, that it would actually have stopped. You know, there's some idea that it would, the warmth would kill the virus. So I was like, all right, so maybe once the summer hits, it'll be, the things would quiet down a bit. No. <laughs> no. no it's, it's, this is such a weird year, you know? I mean, I, I I think it's been a year. It feels like it's been a decade. You know, like time has moved differently this year. I, every week there's a, at least one moment where I have to stop and remember what day it is. Yeah. And, I, you know, things that happened two months ago feel like it was a year ago, let alone things that happened in January or February. That feels like another lifetime. It really kind of does. It does feel like we've entered some weird alternate existence after March. And it almost feels like the year hasn't even, doesn't, can't even count. Once, you know, from March now, it's like a, we need like a mulligan. <laughs> just restart it. Everything goes back to uh, February and we can just settle down again. I remember in the early days of the pandemic reading this article and it talked about lost year you know which seemed crazy back then when you're thinking like surely we won't be dealing with this for an entire year now you're like you know i hope we'll be past it in a year who knows how long it'll be yeah and and i must say um watching old movies and tv shows you know obviously pre-pandemic when you see people gathering groups that were a master, like, what the hell are they doing? What are they even thinking? You know, it's like, it, it's starting to look weird seeing people without masks on, on TV. Sure. I mean, even, you know, shaking hands with somebody or hugging people feels like that happened in another world, you know, like just those sort of casual human contacts that now we're like, well, hold on. Like, I didn't <laughs> have to have a discussion before we can physically touch each other in any way. Yeah, same thing with like proximity. You know, when it, it's weird when like within six feet, you really do feel like your your space is being invaded. You're like, get the fuck out of my space, dude. <laughs> oh, absolutely, I've had that moment where I'm like, who's this asshole who's standing so close? <laughs> now, I think it'll be interesting when conventions start back up again. Well, I, that's not probably the best way to say because some conventions are apparently still happening right now, which is odd. And the weird culture change is going to have to occur because, like, usually when you buy someone's comic book, you know, you <laughs> shake their hand, you thank them. You, I don't know if people will be comfortable doing that, at, you know, for a long time to come, or it, even approaching your table quite the same way for a long time to come. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's hard for me to imagine kind of when we get to that point or what that's going to look like. You know, I mean, I've been invited to conventions and things, you know, down the road like next year, but even then, I've said like. You know, I'm not committing to anything until we kind of the world's right side up again, and then we'll see what it looks like. So, I, you know, I miss that. I miss traveling. Every time I go kind of without doing shows, I realize how much I need that time and how much I miss it. You know, I had a period where I was just so busy from with work. I tried to not do shows for a while, and I I, I just realized I, I really need that time away. I like to to travel, to get out of the house, to go other places, to hang out with, you know, other people who do what I do, to get to meet fans. Like, I really value that time. I don't ever want to be one of those guys who complains about doing shows, you know? Like, I really enjoy it, so I, I miss that. I'll be glad when we can get back to that, and I'll, you know, and sit in a shitty convention some, center somewhere. <laughs> and I will sign every book you want to bring up to me. Um, and then I'll see you in the bar afterwards and we'll have a toast. Yeah, I must say, I totally, I miss auto getting autographs. In August, me and my wife for our anniversary, we're going to go to Terrificon to get some autographs. And I always have my walls littered with top loaders of comic books, just plastered to all my, to my walls. My whole house is basically just comic books. But, and I kind of miss that this year, I wasn't able to add much to that wall anymore. Except for what I was, you know, I ordered a couple from directly from artists from, you know, an online service or something, but it definitely is greatly disappointing. Was there ever a discussion at Marvel about incorporating what's going on in COVID into the comic books, or was that always understood that was going to fantasy was going to be separate from reality? I, don't, I mean, there was never like a you know a, a, a big group conversation about that I was aware of. Again, we haven't had too many of those. Also, you know, this year, you know, we've done some in place of the retreats we used to do. We've done big zoom calls and that sort of thing but 
I mean, I've had smaller conversations with that. Certainly, we've had a conversation about that with Avengers. You know, at one point, I I kind of could have written a quarantine issue if I had wanted to. Like, you know, the Avengers are quarantined <laughs> in the Avengers Mountain because of some space virus. But, you know, I thought about it for about five minutes, but I did not do that. I didn't. I just wasn't sure I wanted to write that or that anybody would want to read that you know, in five months. So I just kind of went ahead with the plans I was already doing. I think you, I think you'd probably be able to look back and see it in people's work. I think you'll be able to see moments of it in my work. And I've noticed it in some of my peers work of just know, you know, like, oh yeah, they wrote this after being stuck in the house for five months. Like I can tell, <laughs> tell that's creeping in a little bit. I think you'll be able to see those moments, but you know, I don't think we'll see a whole bunch of quarantine stories. Well, I can definitely understand. I, I know I was speaking to a director of a TV show, and they said they were going to incorporate 9-11 into their show. And I, I and part of me thought, that sounds very interesting because it's topical. But on the other hand, I, I was wondering if people do need the escapism that you're giving them in Avengers and Thor and everything else. Right. Well, I think with Marvel, there's always that line of... we. You know, we want Marvel to feel like it's the world outside your window, but it's, you know, the, the different events or things from real life. It's sort of a, there's a gray area of how much of that do we want to reflect and how much is too much. So I think that, you know, that's a question every creator has to answer. It's probably different depending on the book too, you know. But it would be interesting to see what the Hulk does in quarantine <laughs> for for a couple of days. Hulk? The Hulk. <laughs> I, I mean, probably just beats the shit out of the walls, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty expensive for Tony Stark's housing bill, I imagine, or his uh, <laughs> Avengers Tower bill. So how much communication does occur at Marvel? Because I was when I'm, I've been reading Avengers, your series, and obviously I'm also reading Empire. Or Empire, I guess that's with the Y. I'm trying to think of how they would pronounce that. Empire. You think it is definitely Empire how they're how they're going for it, or Empire? You know, when Al Ewing says it's in his Northern England accent, but I think it's Empire. All right, Empire. Are you actively incorporating the impact of what's going to happen in Empire into Avengers? Because right now you're doing the Age of Konshu. Am I going? I'm, I'm horrible with pronouncing names. Konshu probably close. Ballpark. Sure, that sounds good to me. I'm from Alabama, so I'm a bad source to ask on how to pronounce. <laughs> I got to call someone in Egypt and be like, hey, but like, is there a discussion of the eventual impact of Empire in your age of country? Or are you going to keep the storylines pretty much separate and, and the impact separate? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, I've, I mean, I've known kind of what Dan and Al were planning for Empire all along and been a part of those discussions and know like where things are going and how that affects a lot of the characters. You know, with Avengers, it's again, it's like there's a line of, you know, how much of you do you reflect of what's going on in the other books and how much leeway do you have to kind of do your own story? So there's been a lot of that we've had to figure out with Avengers. You know, we've Black Panther was a big question and that, you know, ta has been doing this amazing story that took T'Challa out into space and we knew we'd have him out involved in the story for quite a long time so it was a question of well does that mean he disappears from avengers and from all the other books and i think everybody agreeing agreed including tanahasi that we didn't want black panther to disappear from the marvel universe you i mean you don't want to take away from his story I mean, you want his story to feel relevant but also especially with you know this was kind of before the movie was even out we knew black panther is about to be the most visible he's ever been so we want him to be in the Marvel universe. So, you know, and Tanahasi's put Captain America in prison in in that book. And you have all the stuff Tony Stark has been going through. So I, I mean I've tried to reflect all that stuff in pieces along the way and will continue to do so to just to show like this is all one universe. But at the same time you wanna, you know, I'm trying to tell my story and get out of the way and let everyone else tell tell their stories. And not feel like, you know, feel like you can dance between the raindrops a little bit. Like, at what point does T'Challa fly off into space? At what point does Cap go to prison in relation to the other books? 
Like, I mean, you can figure that stuff out and allude to it, make it clear, like, yeah, we're aware this is all going on in the same universe. But at the end of the day, when these books are all sitting on the bookshelves, you know, you you read them and enjoy them. And they, I don't get as hung up as like, well, where did this one happen in relation to that one? Like, you know, one was Wednesday and one was Tuesday and another one was Thursday. And when they're all sitting on a bookshelf, you know, who gives a shit? Like, right, right. <laughs> it's a good story. It's a good story. Most important thing. Well, one thing uh, I really do like that you have in your Avengers is I'm a fan of Moon Knight. I think you're doing, and I think you did a fantastic job with them. And I think the Age of Country is such a fantastically written story. And I also like the introduction of, um, well, not introduction, but the use of um, Mephisto. So, why do you think Moon Knight has is such a fascinating character, and why did you choose him to focus on right now? You know, Moon Knight's one of those characters I've always liked. I think I, I first discovered the character from not the original series, but the, I don't know if it was the second or third one. It's the one Chris Warner drew it. It only ran for like five or six issues, but I, I, I bought those off the spinner rack and then went back and found, you know, those original issues and always really liked Moon Knight. You know, liked a lot of this stuff when it was kind of brought back after being gone for a while a few years ago. So I've always been attracted to the character. Never written him much at all. He, you know, he was an original sin. Probably that's probably the only time I'd ever put words in his mouth before this story. So I always liked that character. Always wanted to do something with that character. And I just liked the idea of doing a big Moon Knight versus the Avengers arc, basically, of him being one of those guys who could who even though you might think well that doesn't make sense on paper how could that do go toe to toe with you know the avengers especially this group of, of avengers who some of them are you know incredibly powerful but you know he's more than just a dude in a suit like there's there's a lot going on there and his connection to Kanchu and his connection to the mystical world as you see here gives him a leg up and in particular he's kind of going after you know, these primordial powers of the Marvel Universe, which have been a fixture of my run on Avengers, you know, really before Avengers, going back to the Marvel Legacy one shot where I established those caveman Avengers, basically. So Kanju and Moon Knight getting their hands on some of those powers, you know, as we see, has made it much more of a fair fight between him and the Avengers. It, there's a certain aspect of the series that re is reminding me of JLA Tower of Babel. Remember that? I don't know if you know the storyline where Batman fights the Justice League or what well, Ra's al Ghul uses Batman's techniques to fight the Justice League. And it kind of gives you the idea, once again, as someone who is basically immortal and how just being that clever and that skillful is able to take out these basically God characters. And I really think that was fan fascinating to do with uh, Moon Knight. The other thing I found fascinating with Moon Knight is that often in a storyline where the hero or the a, a, a superhero seems to have turned to the bad side, it's like, well, you know, there's a plan involved. You know, it's, it's not really what's happening. But with Moon Knight, because he is considered somewhat mentally unstable at times, there, it does feel like there's a really um, s real sense that he could be on the wrong side and he is potentially falling down you know, a, 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 a bad rabbit hole. And I do think it's interesting that with his character, you can lose confidence in his ability to decipher what the right decisions are. Is that kind of why you went with in that route with him? Well, I mean, I know what you're saying. I mean, I you know, I very intentionally had him in the first issue of the arc say, you know, people will say I did this because I'm crazy, but that's not why I'm doing it. You know, in his mind, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, he knows. You know, he remembers all the time his God has screwed him over. He also will always be beholden to him in some sense. And this is the God who brought him back to life and set him down the path of being the, the guy that he is. But he's, you know, I mean, again, as we saw in flashbacks, it's kind of started with him coming after Khonshu to beat the hell out of him. But, you know, Moon Knight knows that there's a bigger threat out there that Mephisto has been up to. Some bad stuff, you know, we still don't really even understand what all that is, but, you know, you get the idea, and we'll kind of see, once we get right past the age of Khonshu, we'll see, start to see more of, like, what is, what exactly has Mephisto been up to all this time? 
and how long has he been up to it and what's his ultimate plan this is you know we're really just kind of building the pieces of that i i think one of the cool things you did in the, the, the last issue is when you showed the prehistoric avengers are you going to tap into that and write stories focusing on them at any point or miniseries? Cause they, they are seem very cool. Well, you know, I mean, I've been doing these standalone issues in Avengers kind of between arcs focusing on different characters from that group. You know, we did iron fist and uh, star brand and uh, ghost rider. And so there's more of those coming up. Yeah. I mean, the, those characters will continue to see more of, they will continue to be a part connected to kind of everything that's going on in Avengers. And that's only going to become more important as things go forward. You know, we kind of what I wanted to do with Avengers from the get-go was to put things in play, to set up not just to introduce a threat, knock it down, have it go away, bring in a new one, but to set up ongoing threats and hotspots around the world, across the cosmos, throughout time. And that's kind of what I've been doing, uh, what, you know, I'm still building. And some of those threats will kind of come to a head as things go on. Some will build and build. Some we haven't even got to yet. So it's still just about building. And, you know, the Avengers have changed over the course of that. We'll continue to see more of that change. You know, most recently, the Avengers got a baby. They have this yeah. Starbucks baby who, you know, we've just started to see a little more of in this arc. I liked the idea of Tony and Carol be the one, being the ones who are stuck on, like, babysitting duty. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a Baby Yoda thing going on. <laughs> like the cute baby that's with the super team. Right, it's incredibly powerful baby. Right, right, and, right. You know, the child, they kind of came by that power through really tragic cosmic circumstances. So it's also a kid you should probably be a little bit afraid of. And so, and, yeah, we, we, and there's more of that kind of stuff coming as, you know. And I think it's interesting that you're doing using Tony Stark as the parent or one of the parents, because on the surface, he does not seem like he would be the best option as any guardian for a, a baby like that. And I think you do a good job playing that up. And obviously, same with Captain Marvel, two characters who don't off the surface seem like the most nurturing type of individuals. Well, I, you know, I I think a common theme of so much of the stuff I've done, whether it's Marvel work or creator-owned work, has been about issues with your parents, you know, especially father issues. Tony, of course, has plenty of those. You know, we explored some of that in the issue I did where he was stuck in the past. And, you know, we saw kind of, you know, alluded to maybe there being some kind of connection between his adopted dad, Howard Stark, and Mephisto. And at the end of that issue, it seemed to be Howard, who was back to life, meeting with Mephisto. So given all that stuff and given who Tony is, yeah, it's certainly interesting to see him in some kind of fatherhood role. And all that kind of stuff will continue to be something we explore going forward. You know, like, I don't know, I think like a... Like a lot of characters in the Marvel Universe, this group of Avengers, pretty much all have some kind of issues with one parent or another that has plagued them in the past. And I think a lot of that is stuff that will come into play as we go forward. And with the Avengers, because you're dealing with a, a group of, in some, some cases, godlike characters, She-Haw, Captain Marvel, Thor... Is it hard to keep finding as a writer threats that makes that's actually challenging to them? Do you feel like you keep having to top yourself or is it are you going with character first and then the threat kind of just naturally, you know, comes into whatever storyline you're trying to working? You know, I mean, with the team book, I think it, it kind of changes issue to issue, arc to arc. You know, there's a lot of characters. You're not going to give each character, this, you know, the same amount of real estate in every story. Some will stories swing more one way or the other. I think some are more about the threat you're presenting them with. Some are more about, you know, focusing in on a few characters here and there. Sometimes maybe you're able to do all that, but it's always a, you know, a different sort of juggling act. You know, with this arc, uh, especially these first few issues, a lot of it's been more about Moon Knight and kind of what 
he's trying to do and how that's tied in with all this other stuff around the Avengers. So it kind of depends, you know, with like we're, again, we're going into the, as, as Ben T's, we're going into a big Phoenix arc after this. So that'll be kind of another one of those primordial powers we're being, bringing into play and also focusing in on getting into the heads in different ways of some of our uh, core Avengers while also bringing in some other characters to add to the mix. So, Can you hint at some of those other characters? No. No, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No, no spoilers on Spoiler Country. That's perfectly fine. Just, uh, <laughs> That's fine. Well, we, you know, we've seen like Namor has, has been a, a part of things kind of through my whole run. But we saw, you know, like one of the, the previous time we saw the Phoenix in the pages of the Avengers, it was Namor who was kind of reaching out to the calling to the Phoenix because, you know, they have a connection from the past. So I think, you know, you can expect Namor to be a part of things. Is, is there any hope of Beta Ray Bill ever showing up? I just love the character so much. I, I don't have plans for Beta Ray Bill in the Avengers. I can say he's mentioned in something I wrote just recently. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I will say, one. I think one of the, just personally, one of my favorite moments in your current Avengers storyline is She-Hulk making herself angry by thinking about her student loans. And as someone who's racked up way too many student loans, I will totally say I can totally empathize with her character. And I thought it was a brilliant little addition to, to the character in that moment. It was such a great scene that you set up. Wait, Thanks. Yeah, well, um, you know, he's a lawyer. I'm, and I'm sure she does okay for herself. She's got her own practice, right? But. She definitely started out saddled with some legal bills and trying to balance being a lawyer with all the superheroing, you know, you're doing, especially as an Avenger. I'm sure she has not been able to pay off all those loans. (laughs) (laughs) And I definitely would feel bad for whoever has to go to her and try to claim them or tell her she owes back taxes or something on her her loans, back bills. (laughs) I'm sure she's making timely payments. I'm not trying to say that she's, you know defaulting on her loans i think they're a thorn in her side is all see you, so you, are, you know it's, she she lives in new york these days so i'm sure the <laughs> the knicks are the same way um, yeah and I, and I must say it should be you need to have one issue where the superheroes are just sitting back paying their bills and making sure everything's on time and checking their um, bank accounts you know just, just a regular issue of normal life <laughs> right i mean they you know they don't have jarvis there anymore to do that kind of shit for them so somebody's got to do it <laughs> yeah and captain america when he was frozen for so many years what kind of late fees has he racked up you know i mean i bet he had to talk to a lot of people for that one for those bills Right, he's probably still trying to work out his his VA benefits from from back then. I'm sure that's a nightmare. <laughs> One of the best thing as well I liked about your series is that the team up with Blade or working uh, and Captain America. That seems like a perfect match of characters, and not only philosophically how they're a little bit different in in their personalities, but once again, it seems like there's so much to mind there for as the longevity and their time um, on the planet. Was that kind of what you wanted to explore by having them um, team together? Yeah, well, you know, Blade is one of those characters I, I I really like to write, and it is interesting to pair him up kind of with different characters within the Avengers. You know, this is sort of a different beat for him to walk. He's usually the guy who's out killing vampires, so, you know, sending him into space for the Starbrand arc, he was really not comfortable with that and had some tough times over the course of that adventure. So, you know, I like writing him and Robbie, him and Ghost Rider together, but it's cool to see him interact with those characters who are, you know, very different from the more ones he'd hang out with on the kind of dark mystical corner of the Marvel Universe. Do you think they like each other, Captain America and Blade, or do you think they'd be, because their personalities and backgrounds do seem to be kind of opposite to one another. Do you think they is it respect or do you think they actually do would like each other? You know, I think Cap likes and respects anybody who's, a, who's in his eyes, you know, being a good Avenger, doing what they need to do. So, yeah, I think he respects Blade. I don't know, you know, clearly there's a big gulf between them and what they've been through in life and kind of the beat they walk. But, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, Cap is sort of Cap no matter who he's with, right? Like he's pretty unwavering and, and this is who he is. And, yeah. I like I like writing him with other characters, especially ones he doesn't normally associate with. 
Especially, like I said, because Cap always does seem to be the ideal optimist, and Blade, there's something maybe a little dark or cynical about the character, and I, I, I find it interesting that, I, I don't know, it feels almost like Captain America makes other characters around him seem or become more hopeful just by being in his vicinity. Maybe so. He might have his work cut out for him with Blade. Certainly his life has been pretty rough, you know, from literally from like the moment of his birth. But, you know, I like I said, I really like adding him to the mix in this book and don't plan on him going away anytime soon. Do you think you're going to have more Blade, Captain America moments together or is Blade going to split off with some other characters in future storylines? Well, both. I mean, I certainly have, I, you know, I've already written some more Blade and Captain America moments, so I can promise you there's more of that coming. But, you know, I've also written some Blade Thor moments, so I'd like to see more of him interacting with, you know, with everybody. So what what do you have planned for future Avengers storylines? Is there anything you can drop some little hints here or there on it? Well, we, you know, like I said, we've already teased the Enter the Phoenix art. The, I think the next round of solicitations will kind of see what comes out right after Age of Khonshu. So there's a couple issues kind of before we dive into Age of Phoenix. One of them is another one of those prehistoric Avengers flashback issues. I don't know what more I can say. Uh, no problem. Well, while we're still talking about Marvel, you did mention Jane Foster, Valkyrie. And it sounds like in the 10th issue that the series had come to an end. But you said that there was promise of future stories that um, you had in mind. Is it getting rebooted? Is there a miniseries coming out? It sounded like there was something else going on with Jane Foster. Yeah, I mean, I think all I can say and confirm is that there is more stuff going on with Jane Foster. You know, Torin and I have still been working. So, I, I mean, I can't announce yet, like, exactly what that is or what form it takes, but... Yes, I will say we're still working away on Jane Foster stuff. You know, when the movie was pushed back, but, you know, we're still looking at when that film comes out, you know, Jane Foster will be the most visible she's ever been, right? She's such a big part of that. So we're not taking her out of the spotlight just yet. And to my understanding, the movie is going to be closely based on what you've done with the character of Jane Foster. Are you part? Of, are you advising on the movie at all? Are they checking with you with some of their ideas, or are you, it's just what you're hearing from the set? Yeah, no, I've not been been involved or anything like that. You know, and uh, kind of maybe don't know too much more than anybody else does. Certainly, I'm excited. I'm a huge fan of Taika. I think Joe Rabbit is probably my favorite film of last year. I really love that movie. Of course, I really liked Thor Ragnarok. So no, I'm see, I'm excited to to see what they do, just like everybody else. It must be fantastic to see a character that you write on the big screen like that. I know that you've had a huge influence on what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure, it's cool. I mean, I think it's always cool just when any anybody responds to what you do, right? Whether that's somebody I meet at a signing who talks about, you know, how much that Jane Foster story meant to them or Somebody who appreciated something funny I did in Wolverine and the X-Men years ago. Like any sort of reaction or response you get is always great, right? Like I, to me, I always feel like this is a very selfish job and that I'm kind of just doing stories I want to read. I mean, I think that's what you always have to do, right? Like that's the only, I only know how to story to write stories that make me happy. I don't know how to write one to please anybody else. So I think that's what I do every day. And you like to think that, well, if I am emotionally invested in this story, hopefully other people will be as well. Hopefully other people will respond to it. You don't know if that'll be five people or 5,000 people or 500,000 people, but you just have to put yourself into it and feel good about it yourself. And that's all you can control. Then you send it out into the ether and it becomes a whole thing. So yeah, it's always great to get any sort of response or recognition for that. So having this be an influence on the film is in some ways awesome. That's great. I'm excited about it. And I mean, your record so far speaks for itself. I mean, you've won a Harvey Award, an Eisner Award for uh, Scalp. You, you were on the New York Times bestsellers list for another one of your works. 
at what point, I mean, which moment did you finally, did you think to yourself, I've arrived, you know, I have accomplished what I needed, you know, what I wanted to accomplish as a writer? Well, I mean, I've never felt like that. I hope, hopefully I never do, you know? I mean, I, I think having, building confidence is great of like, you know, especially I, I have a certain level of confidence working at Marvel and that I've been there so long and i you know, I, I know everybody, they have a level of trust in me. So, you know, when I took over Thor, I felt a confidence of just like, okay, I'm going to, I've been here around here for a few years. I've done a lot of different stuff. I'm just going to, this is mine now. And I'm going to lay down some tracks and I'm going to tell a big story and I'm kind of not going to leave until they make me leave or I'm done, you know? Yeah. And I was able to do that. So I think that's good to have that, sort of a little bit of confidence and okay, I don't, they haven't fired me yet. So I don't <laughs> fire me tomorrow. So I'm just going to keep doing my best until they do. So I think yeah. that's good, but I don't ever want to get to that sort of feeling of like, okay, I made it, you know, I know what I'm doing. So I'll just keep doing more of that and I'll be fine. I think that's, you know, the death knell for you as a creator. I always want to feel like, um, I'm challenging myself or growing or that there's room to grow or room to get better. I'm trying to get better. I don't ever want to feel like I, you know, I, I can tie a bow on it. And I'm always most excited about what I'm working on next. You know, I opened, created a new folder on my computer this week, you know, for an, an, my, my work section, you know, new work folder, which, always makes me excited of like, man, I'm really excited to do this new thing. I hope I will always feel like that. Is is the new thing something from Marvel or are you doing another creator owned project? This is a new Marvel thing. But I'll and, also have some new creator owned projects too. Is there anything you can say about it? With the with a new character? Is it something a spin off, miniseries? That could be one of those things. I don't know. No, there's nothing <laughs> I can say about it. It's still too early. No worries. Uh, I will just say, I mean, it's a, it's a really great feeling that I've been able to have multiple times in my career where you feel like, oh, this is the book I need to be doing right now. You know, I, I felt like that when I took over Thor and when Thor was not, that was not on, if I had made a list of like, man, these are the things I really want to do in comics, Thor would not have been on it. That was not a character I was, I grew up with that I was a huge fan of just didn't know much about but at that moment in time I realized you know I reached for Thor I realized oh that's the book I want to do right now so I've been able to have that feeling with Marvel stuff with greater own work and it's always great and it's always exciting to kind of have that realization of like yes this is this feels right right now so this is this project that I can't tell you what it is yet it's something else that I definitely have that feeling. You know, I sat down and wrote an outline for it a couple of weeks and it was like a 15 page outline, which I think tells you I'm really excited to write it because I, if I had that much stuff that I had to get out of my head, I'm really excited to write that first issue. Well, now I'm, now I'm getting excited to know when I know what it is, but I'll, I'll hold off until you're, in, you're, you're able to talk about it. But do you find that your success with Marvel gives you the confidence to move on to create your own work and do kind of what you want? Because um, I was reading Sea of Stars um, that, that you wrote, and it's really good and kind of crazy. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of crazy going on in that in that series. Well, you're good crazy, but it's still. I mean, does the confidence of do of pay, kind of kind of going wherever you want to go with Sea of Stars come from knowing what you've done at Marvel and how that's been accepted that you can now do this other thing? You know, I mean, I think my the the creator on stuff I do just comes from me wanting to do different things. You know, I I think as a consumer of media like i'm attracted to attracted to all sorts of different genres and different kinds of stories so i think i'm like that as a writer too like i don't i don't want to just do the same thing over and over again i feel like i've done a lot of different kinds of books i mean i'm sure you see themes and ideas and different things i return to again and again but i feel like i've done a lot of different kinds of stuff and i want to keep pushing the boundaries of that. I think I'm always hungry to 
do something different. So Sea of Stars is best, definitely something like that. You know, I think it's very different from anything else I've done in comics. Just like, you know, the goddamn that's coming out right now, too, is, I mean, those two books couldn't be more different from, from one another. So that's why, you know, by the time I'm dead and going in my coffin, I want to leave behind a, a variety of work. You know, I somebody like Grant Morrison is who I look to as a great example of that, of like, I don't know what you would point to as like a, you know, the definitive Grant Morrison book. I think if you ask five different fans, you might get five different answers. And it could be a creator-owned book. It could be a work-for-hire book. You know, he's done such iconic stuff in both. So that's what I aspire to is, um, you know, to, to and it keeps me from getting bored. You know, it lets me flex different muscles, I think, week to week. You know, writing an issue of Avengers is... Different, very different from working on an issue of the goddamn or an issue of Sea of Stars. So uh, I love that. I wanted, that's what I've, I've been able to do, you know, really for the entirety of my career. And that's what I absolutely want to do for the rest of it for as long as it lasts. Now, on just to point out, my favorite Grant Morrison is uh, JLA, the first 20 or so issues of his JLA run to me was my, my favorite Morrison. Super great. Yep. They, they were absolute genius. First of stars goes, it looks, according to the credits, you're co-writing with Dennis Hallam. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Dennis Hopeless, Dennis Hallam, who, you know, is a Kansas City guy. So he lives down the street. He's been doing a lot of Marvel stuff, Valiant stuff over the years. So it's a, it's a book we very much came up to, with together. And, you know, it's an interesting experience. I haven't co-written a lot of stuff, and I've certainly never co-written something like this, where we basically divided up. You know, it was from the get-go, we were talking about a story of a father and son who get separated and go on two very different kinds of adventures. And for the most part, I've written the son, and Dennis has written the dad. You know, it's like the idea is the son is on this very sort of fun Miyazaki in space kind of adventure with where he's swimming through space and they're fun talking space animals. Meanwhile, a dad is trying to find him and he's going through hell. You know, he's like going through the revenant in space where everything around him is dangerous. Everything's trying to eat him or kill him. So two very different views of a space adventure going on at the same time. So, you know, it's been fun to do and that I'm basically writing one book and Dennis is writing another and they weave together, and you know, we saw at the end of the first arc how they kind of came crashing together for a little bit. Then we, with this second arc, we separate things again. That we've sort of mixed, mixed things up a little bit. Both those stories have changed, so it's been really fun to do. And Stephen Green and Rico Renzi have been doing really beautiful, crazy, you know, space art, and that we get to bring in all sorts of different crazy space creatures. Clearly, I love space sharks, and I've written a lot of space <laughs> sharks, really. <laughs> well, there's that's all a, sorts of swimming space creatures in this book. A new type of Shark Week. You can do a space shark episode. <laughs> Absolutely. I love Shark Week. Sure, that is actually fantastic. I think it was a Shark Week where they had, I can't remember who it was it? Was it like Will Smith or something was in, involved in it? It's, it's, I do love Shark Week as well. There was the Will Smith show. There was a Shaquille O'Neal show. Oh, there's a Mike Tyson where Mike Tyson... Oh, yeah, yeah, fight the sharks. Sharks. yeah, yeah. Watch <laughs> that sharks. There is something absolutely fascinating. That's why have you ever seen the Harley Quinn cartoon with King Shark? No, I don't think I have. It, it actually is really funny. The King Shark is one of the funniest characters on the show. It, uh, it is highly recommended. But anyways, so when you get to back to Sea of Stars with the character, the son, Caden, am I pronouncing it right? Caden. Yep. When you first introduced um, the first issue. You very, you definitely have the standard on some level father son relationship. In other words, the father is the guardian of the son who is obviously getting into some trouble in the ship. But now, Caden has superpowers. He's more powerful. Is that going to change the father son dynamic in, in a drastic way? Well, I mean, the for sure, you know, the d- dynamic has really been the two of them, you know, separated. Right? It's really just that first issue we seen them together and then they get they're both kind of lost in space and Caden doesn't know that his dad's alive. So that's pretty much it for the first arc. It's only at the very end of that arc that 
you know, Gil got a glimpse of his son. Gil didn't really know that his son was still alive. He's chased him in a blip, you know, from his helmet, but doesn't really believe that he's, his son could still have, could have survived. So, yeah, they just, you know, really glimpsed each other for a moment at the end of that arc, as we see a little bit in issue six, too. So, yeah, we've certainly, we've switched things up in, in terms of the situation they were both in, people they were with, how they view the situation around them, how they kind of continue things over the course of this arc. When they ever finally, if they do ever finally wind up face to face, yeah, they they are going to be two very changed characters from where they started out. Is Caden going to be growing throughout the series? In other words, is, is is time going to go by enough that he's going to start moving into older age, or is it the time frame going to be much shorter? You know, that's a good question. I mean, Dennis and I have talked about that a little bit. This is not, you know, this is not going to be like a sixty issue story we you know we've got a very clear kind of beginning middle and end so we know where we're headed so it's not going to be you know as long as some of the other things i've done we may see him age a little bit at the end i'm not sure but i think for most part he's going to stay about the same age well one thing i love about sea of stars and it's kind of the phrase i thought to myself i don't know if if it's a good description or not is the idea of the phrase beautiful absurdity there's a beautiful absurdity to sea of stars and I mean, because obviously there's a lot of crazy, like you said, there's a uh, space whales and you got sharks and the shamans and there's a lot going on. So how do you, with, with all the crazy, how do you get, or how are you getting the audience to buy into it and accept it in a way, you know what I'm saying, that, and make it so they can identify with it? Uh, what's your thought process in writing it? Well, I mean, again, you know, it's like I've said, like with a lot of stuff I do, this one's really just about a, a kid and his dad. So it's about, for the kids, it's very much this um, crazy coming-of-age story in space. For the dad, it's about the struggles of being a father. And, you know, he's a single dad and that the mother has, has passed away. So not just the struggle of being a single dad, but being a single dad who's lost his kid in space. And then you add all this, you know, big space mythology that we're kind of... Uh, seeding and teasing and filling in as we go. You know, how did Caden get these powers? What is this giant space Leviathan? You know, those are all things we still don't understand just yet. Do, do, but do you think, ultimately, it's still just about, a, it's about a, being a kid and it's about being a dad. Do you think every great story, no matter how complicated it is, basically at some level does have these common elements of something that may be far more identifiable? like father-son relationship or some other basic concept? Well, I mean, I think you have to, you know, no matter what kind of crazy shit you're dealing with, you have to give people something they can cling to emotionally, right? Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, all different ways you can do that or different things that can be. But, you know, I think the stories that, that stick with us, that hook us, are ones that we relate to in some sense or aspire to, you know, like you gotta, there needs to be something in there you recognize, you know, even if, again, I've written stories, a lot of stories about Wolverine. I've written stories about Black Panther fighting scrolls. I've written a lot of stories about, you know, a, a seemingly immortal God of thunder. So those are all characters, you know, I think most of us have a hard time relating to, right? But there needs, there has to be something in there we, we can understand or recognize or just want to hang out with and be around. So I think that's the challenge of everything I do is, you know, why should we give a shit about this beyond, well, there's cool sharks or it's got pretty art or Thor has a cool hammer. Okay, those are all great, but the end of the day why should we care why should we care about these people why should we want to spend money to hang out with them so i think that's always the thing you have to put on the page don't assume that someone you know shows up to the party and they've already got that investment you need to show them why they should be invested so with sea of stars how long are you planning it for it to run like I said, we, you know, it, it's not going to be a super long thing. I think probably we get through the second arc. There's kind of one more arc after that to wrap everything up. And 
I'm still figuring out what form that arc will take. Might be a couple of oversized issues because at that point we'll kind of be digging big into the, like I said, the mythology of what's really going on here. So I think we might, that third arc might be in the form of a couple of oversized issues. And I don't know if I'm r- wrong on this, but it's, I feel like I'm. there's a theme going on with some of your writing right now. There's religious aspects of in Avengers. There's religious undertones with the shaman in Sea of Stars. And then with Goddamn Virgin Brides, you start off with a, um, a quote from Genesis talking about Adam and Eve and kind of which kind of in the context of Christianity and Christian thought places the relationship of what religion sees as man and woman or Eve as being part of Adam. Is that a theme that you're kind of been thinking about a lot right now? And and so that's why it's kind of like bleeding out into a lot of your uh, series. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think religion and faith are another one of those subjects that has been a recurring theme through almost everything I've ever done. You know, the first comic story I ever wrote when I won a Marvel talent search contest in 2001, it was a 10 page story about uh, Wolverine having a conversation with this woman in the middle of the woods where they're talking about religion and faith. So I think from day one, that's been something I've been interested in. You know, I talked before about growing up in the South and growing up in the church. And I've been an atheist for, you know, I guess more than half my life at this point. But if anything, I've only become more interested in and more fascinated by the stories of religion. You know, that's exactly what the goddamned is. It's a story set within the pre-flood world from the book of Genesis. You know, the idea that the world was so completely screwed up and out of control that God was like, you know, fuck it. We have to kill everybody and start over. I've I've always been interested in like, what was that world like? (laughs) (laughs) So that's the goddamned. It was a series of stories all you know, involving different characters, but set within that same world before the rain started to fall. Yeah, um, I, I would say much like you, I tend to be agnostic slash atheist, though I heritage is Jewish. And I seem like a lot of people who are in the realm of atheist or agnostic do tend to have a fascination with religion. And it, it's kind of, I find that's like an interesting connection there of people who, and some people without faith tend to be more, the most curious about why the faith is there. And, you, and I find that's a, a common thread between a lot of people. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you exactly why that is, but I do think I have only become more interested in the, certainly in the stories of the Bible. Once I stopped looking at the Bible as, you know, in any way a source of faith or, or what I thought about the world or my own values or, what I think happens after we die, you know, all that stuff disappeared and it was really just the stories and I became interested in that. You think some of I think it's almost like the curiosity or the thought that creates the idea of atheism is the same curiosity that makes you wonder about why the people have that same faith. Seems like it's almost like it's like a similar connection there. The, The idea of questioning things and wanting to know why something exists the same reason why you start doubting, but that same doubt is why you're now wondering why someone else doesn't have it. Sure. And maybe it helps, you know, look at thing, these things as a little less, a little less sacrosanct where I'm like, you know, I'm not a go afraid to like go poking around these stories. And, you know, with the first arc of the goddamn show that like maybe Noah wasn't a great guy. Maybe it was a giant asshole who would <laughs> come to your town and cut all the trees down and take all the animals and a lot of the people as slave labor to build this giant boat. Well, what are the odds be of ultra religious person being an asshole? <laughs> Sorry, I probably should. <laughs> well, look, there, you know, there's assholes from all walks of life. Like, that is very true. All corners of the globe. Same way, there are rednecks everywhere, not just in the south. That uh, I completely agree with you. <laughs> and I think one of the good things I, I did like about God Damned is that the, the the characters of, is it Sherry and Jail? Am I pronouncing, how are you pronouncing them? Yes, yeah. Okay, so Sherry and Jail, they're kind of fighting for the idea that women only being valued as brides. And I think it's interesting that it's because, and part of me thinking is because they are young, that they have that idea of, going against the 
well-practiced system, the well-worn system of the culture of that time. I, and I was wondering, do you, is it kind of a commentary that you think change comes from the youth and that's where it needs to come from, not from the established adults of that, you know, in that culture? You know, I mean, I think I'm commenting on a lot of things with the Virgin Brides. I think you can, you know, sort of read it and decide for yourself what you make of all that. I just liked, you know, that idea of these kids who are raised in this world were very much sheltered from the rest of the world. This is kind of all they know, you know, like, and it's a very rigid world of sort of you, you do this and then you hit a point and then you get married and then you go off and do this other thing. And that's it. Like there's not a, you don't get a say in any of that. And if you're going to question that, you're going to be punished harshly for it. And we meet these two girls who sort of start to see the reality of that and they're like oh hell no we're gonna we're gonna run from this as fast as we can and then deal with the repercussions of that now the first virgin goddamn series you did in 2017 this one you took up in basically 2020 what made you come back to the to the, to the storyline was it something that occurred to you or an event that you thought you know what i feel this is a good time to dive back into this world well, some of it is just Yara's been working on it for a long time. You know, I think you can look at the art for this and see why it's taken a bit. You know, I think it's the most incredible work he's ever done. This is, a, you know, a guy I've worked with quite a bit, going back to the beginning of Scalped. So the idea has always been to do more, you know, with the goddamn that's never meant to be kind of one big story. It's going to be a lot of different stories set within this same world. Those we do more of those, you'll see the way they connect together. You might see character from one pop up in another, but it's really about, you know, doing a lot of different loosely connected stories all set within that same fucked up world. <laughs> and like I said, I think what you're doing with the goddamn is another again, it's another series I think is be- beautifully done. I do think there's a lot of interesting lessons of, about our view of culture patriarchal culture and i really do think it's a powerful series what else do you have coming in the pipeline for your creative works a uh, creator owned at least again nothing i can talk about just yet but you know the pandemic this year has really changed plans for a lot of stuff or pushed things back and also you know it's been such a tough year in a lot of different ways some of it's changed uh, my focus or the things I want to do or the things that feel relevant at, you know, in this moment. So some of it, I'm still figuring out some of it. I know what I want to do. It's just a question of when's the right time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely working on more creator on stuff beyond just more of the same things I've already done. Well, I definitely look forward to seeing uh, what you work on. And I, we've been speaking for about an hour, and I really do appreciate you talking with me. I'm really loving what you're doing with the Avengers. I would like to see what you where you go with Jane Foster. Uh, sea of Stars is, like I said, that's I'm, I'm, I really enjoy just your feel like with Sea of Stars, you're just going for it. Like It seems like such you're swinging big for that one, it feels like. And um, not only scope, but like I said, just ideas, creativity. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's definitely my pleasure. When you do get these other series, I do hope you come on and talk about them. I'd, I'd be curious. I'm curious where you're heading with all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's been a weird year where I haven't talked to many people, right? Like you don't leave your house much. You <laughs> right, right, right. Don't go to shows. So it's always good to try to brush off my rusty conversation skills and actually converse with people. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I literally, I'm a teacher in my day job, and we have recently had to go back to classes. The students haven't shown up yet because it's Rhode, I, live, I come from, I live in Rhode Island, but we're with the other teachers. And it definitely feels weird. There's a weirdness in sitting in a room with somebody else that, you know, that you're not in your little bubble and trying right. to interact with them. And it, it just, there's almost, there is an awkwardness to that that is a little unnerving at this point. <laughs> sure. Sure. You got to learn how to ride the bike again. Yeah, I, it, it's, I, I think it's an interesting idea on society where everyone may be in the same situation where when you see someone walking down the street, 
it's there's an, there's a strangeness to that. Like, wait, are you sure you're supposed to be walking around? My my, no, my little world doesn't have you involved. Right. <laughs> yes. But either way, I thank you so much for talking with me. Oh God! You, you, uh, we were we were in ASMR mode, man. I know. Uh, I, I, I had to get us out of that because I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, dude, Jeff interviewed the hell out of that. Yeah. Jason Aaron. Cat. Jason Aaron, man, dude, dude is freaking awesome. I mean, he's written. I mean, his Thor run is amazing. I think his Thor run's going to go down as one of the greatest Thor runs that's been out since Walt Simonson's, honestly. And oh yeah, yeah. His sure. Wolverine, Pun- Punisher, Max, his Ghost Rider. He's you know his his work for DC. He's done a lot of great stuff. I mean, you see Jason Aaron's name, you know it's going to be an interesting story to read. Quality book. Yeah, yeah, quality book. It's going to be fun. Um, his uh, he did the other side, which is a Vietnam War story, which is really cool. Uh, I mean, I see him on Twitter. I see his stuff come out, and I'm like, yeah, this looks good because the dude knows what he's doing. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk to him. He was actually what. Uh, what I assumed would be a bucket list for, yeah. for our comic interview people, but uh, man, we, we got on the show. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff one Jeff scheduled it and Jeff did the interview. So thank you, Jeff. And thank you, Jason, for coming on, man. And again, Jason, as we tell all of the guests that we like, if you want to come back on and shoot the shit and talk about something else or promote something, you just let us know. And you're welcome back to come on anytime. And if you like that and like this show and like this interview and all the stuff that we do here, just check out spoilerverse.com or on your podcatcher, just search for spoiler, spoiler country and you'll find more episodes, more back issues from us. We are coming in close on 500 episodes, which is a ton to do in three years. It's so Holy smokes. Yeah. It's so crazy, man. But we've got so many interviews and stuff up there. If you can check out, we have other shows on spoilerverse.com like funny book forensics, like nerds from the crypt, like haphazard adventures, just so much cool ones up there. You can check out this all different genres stuff, all in the pop culture fun realm. And it's going to be a lot of fun for you to go there and discover What's there? So Casey, what else is on the website? Uh, well, we have interviews, we have reviews, we have articles written by uh, some really, really great people, um, and uh, we have some idiot ass things that I wrote a long time ago that should <laughs> probably uh, be uh, be excised from the website so it doesn't incriminate incriminate me in any way. The internet um, is forever. <laughs> uh, you know what else we have a link to? What's that? We have a link to our store. We do. And it's, it's, it's the holiday season guys. Yeah. Yeah. You guys need hoodies. You guys yeah. need t-shirts. Yeah. You guys need I mean, hats. It's cold out there. You guys need a hoodie to keep warm. And what better hoodie to wear than a spoiler country or a spoiler verse hoodie and show off your pride of spoiler verse. Man, we're the coolest, the coolest podcast out there with the hosts that are named with our names. I, I rock my, um, my spoiler verse shirt, uh, fairly often. Nice. Um, just because I like it's, it's there. It's, yeah. it's hanging up in the closet. My, it's like right ahead. So I just, I, I, I don't care really <laughs> as long as my shirt's clean. Right. I'll wear it. My, my 18 year old <laughs> son celebrated his one year anniversary with his girlfriend today and he was wearing his Spoilerverse shirt for it. So it's cool enough for my 18 year old son. So it's cool enough for you. Nice, nice. Um, the cut of that shirt is is great. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. It's, Dude, it's perfect. I have I have two hoodies. I, I bought two hoodies. I, Long story short, one of them was messed up, so I bought a new one. Um, but it was messed up on the font because I, I uploaded the wrong file on accident and bought it before I double-checked it because I was a dumbass. But the point is, both the hoodies are super comfortable and warm, and I love them both. And I'm probably going to buy more of them down the road when I put up more designs. I have, a ton, I have a ton more designs to put up. I just haven't gotten them up there yet. So keep watching the store. There's going to be new stuff coming. And one last thing I want you to do is I want you to go to scpod.us slash discord scpod.us slash discord and join our public discord server because we have tons of chat rooms there talk about everything from self-promotion so if you have if you're a comic creator and you want to self-promote your comic there's a channel for that and we've got tons of people on the in our discord server that you can promote right directly to you can go off and show off your shit we have chat rooms for anime and books and comics and movies and cars and pets and just a lot of fun stuff and people are people are active in all these rooms we have questions of the day and we have general chat and it's a lot of fun you can chat with all the people from the show and the network as well as all the listeners out there too. So definitely go to scpod.us slash discord and join our server. It's, it's a whole lot of fun. We really enjoy talking to you guys and uh, it's uh, it, it's worth uh, taking the time to, uh, to check it out. Yeah. And I think with that, that's a show. So now we're going to go ahead and, and, and tell you one last thing. And that's... Hey, what? 
Don't interrupt me. What'd you say? <laughs> What'd you say? Join us on Parlor. No. I'm joking. Don't, don't fucking do that. We're not on Parlor. We're, we're on Twitter and we're on Instagram, not on Parlor. But in Notions of Podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do. Open your mind. And read more. <laughs> I don't know why I do weird voices there. I always do. And my, I think my whole point is to make people listen laugh. I always make Kendrick laugh, which makes me laugh, so whatever. Okay, so, um...